they're trying to amplify all those voices and those marginalized groups to ensure that we keep continuing to move in a direction for equity, opportunity, and inclusion amongst everybody. Hey everyone, and welcome to Sports Arty Snippets. I'm Liz Waluka, a registered dietitian and board certified specialist in sports dietetics. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you a sports dietitian guest that will share advice, insight, and rewards of the profession. Snippets of their own career path to becoming a sports RD. Hey everyone, welcome back to Sports RD Snippets. I'm super excited to have Matt Frakes today on the podcast. Matt has an incredible and inspiring journey to becoming a sports dietitian. Matt shares his unique path to earning his PhD and talks all about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the dietetics field and how to take action to make a lasting impact. Matt R. Frakes is a registered dietitian nutritionist and a certified strength and conditioning specialist. Mr. Frakes is a former Division I collegiate student athlete who completed his undergraduate and master's degree at Bowling Green State University and his doctorate degree at the University of Mississippi. He has a wide range of experiences in sports nutrition, strength and conditioning, private practice, and healthcare settings. His passion includes enhancing athletic performance through both evidence-based research and practice-based evidence. Building upon a sports nutrition and clinical nutrition background, his research interest focuses on the impact of nutrition and dietary intake on the recovery rate of sports-related concussions. Currently, Mr. Frakes works as a sports nutritionist at the University of Louisville. Let's jump in and let's meet Dr. Frakes. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's going on, Liz? Glad to be here. Very excited to talk to you. I'm super excited to talk to you. Um, I know we always, I always say, like, I like to start these episodes off with how we know each other. The really fun thing is, well, I feel like I know you now because we just talked before the podcast, but everyone in CPSDA, even if you don't know each other beforehand, like, you feel like you know them, which is really nice. But I'm super excited to have Matt on today because, first off, he has a really cool path to, you know, getting your PhD, and we haven't talked about that route yet in dietetics or sports nutrition, and then obviously diversity and inclusion in our field of nutrition and sports nutrition. So I'm just super excited to dive in and hear your story. Absolutely, man. That's, it's going to be very clear cut, hopefully concise and authentic. So I don't hold my tongue. That's one thing you guys will hopefully love about me. And if you don't, I don't care. Yes, share it all. <laughs> We're all here for it. All right. Uh, all right. So let's jump in. Can you take us through your career path up until this point where you started and where you are today? Yeah, now how far you want me to go back? That's the thing. <laughs> wherever you want to start. You can start high school. You can start like some people start right. room. I don't know, wherever you want to take us. All right. So um, obviously, so I actually, I played football in college. Um, went to Ohio University, had a little bit of hiccups there, kind of walked through in there. Um, and then actually got into a little bit of trouble. So before I could even start the season or start camp or anything, like it just wasn't no deal. So I... In high school, I played sports year round, went to OU for about a year and a half, and then transferred to Bowling Green State University. Um, had to rewalk on there, um, was there from 09 to 2011, graduated with my dietetics um, um, undergrad in 2011 in the fall. So took about a semester off and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So my best friend's dad uh, was a, uh, what you call it, the general manager for 
and athletic facility, Urban Act, Urban Active, which is LA Fitness now. For those of you that's in there with them, yeah, that, that know what it is a little bit. So before that turned LA Fitness, it was Urban Active. So I was the assistant GM at that time, and I was doing basically personal training, uh, selling personal training and doing some uh, nutrition, some basic nutrition stuff. So I wasn't the RD yet. So after that, that uh, semester, I actually tried to play indoor football um, and the IFL, indoor football league, oh, which cool. is basically like a, yeah, a pro indoor football You're league. You're like, not cool, not cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll work out. So I got on, um, actually got in trouble again. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> so I got in trouble. Yeah, so I had a lot of adversity in my life. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, and then actually was trying to figure out what I wanted to do because I didn't want to go back home per se, but it was a, I had to, I had to kind of reset myself and kind of figure out what to do. Cause I grew up in the South end of Columbus, Ohio. Um, so there's it's a, a lot of bouncing around for me and my brothers. It, I grew up in a lower income socioeconomic class. And then I actually bounced from lower to middle to lower. So there's a lot of instability financially um, in, in the house. And we moved 11 times before I was 17. Um, yeah, yeah, we moved 11 times before I was 17, lost houses. Um, my parents try to do what they, whatever they could as far as they, they do everything. There's a lot of other things in there why those things was happening. But, you know, we just learned how to just to survive, you know. Um, so with that being said, though, so I went back home to Columbus, had to recollect myself and everything and, and try to just recalibrate. Um, and I actually got into uh, my professors at Bowling Green. That's why I love them so much. They, they, they actually reached out, checked on me. It was like, you know what, Matt? We have a master's program. If you want to go ahead and get into that, do that as well. And I know you will still, I still think you will be a great dietitian. So please um, apply for it. So I, I was in the uh, coordinated program alongside with uh, a district program. So I did all my rotations in Columbus while being at home with my family and everything. So uh, then my rotations in Columbus. Um, and then after that, actually the second year of my master's program went back to Bowling Green, had to get out of Columbus. Uh, it, it, it was too hectic. It was not the environment to be at at the time and the part of Columbus I stayed at. Uh, so I went back to Bowling Green, uh, was a TA there. Then as I was a TA there, wrapped up uh, that final year, then went to actually my internship uh, rotations and all that stuff too, between both uh, situations, majority in Columbus. Um, became a dietitian back in 2016. So I'm, I'm still very young in the field. I feel like I'm old, but now that I think about it, I'm still very young in the field. So with that being said, uh, after that, I was a clinical dietitian and actually started my own LLC, my private practice, um, and then was the uh, sports dietitian for 11 Athletics, which they had professional and collegiate athletes that was there in the off season that were training and all that stuff there. So I had a lot of networking and met a lot of people in there. Uh, and I was blessed to have the opportunity while also working at Maryland Hospital, which I had to drive 45 minutes every single day uh, there and then 45 minutes back to work as a clinical dietitian and now go to that gym at the time to be the dietitian and train a little bit and all that stuff. So I did that for about a year. And then actually there was a PhD uh, program, a GA position to pay for a PhD in full at Ole Miss at University of Mississippi. So I had to step outside my comfort zone uh, and also how to get back out of Ohio and get back out of Columbus. So that was opportunity to do that. So at that time, I actually applied to it, got it. Uh, the PhD was fully paid for. Uh, so that was a blessed opportunity. 
and I was the GA um, the sports dietitian for for baseball there, um, as well as like track and field, and also uh, was conducting my research on um, the impact of concussions, the impact of nutrition on concussion recovery. So that was phenomenal. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was turning to my fiance. Um, and then we found out actually that we were pregnant at that moment too. So I was there for two years and then actually, you know, when life hits you, you got to kind of adjust and just adapt. So that little, my, my stipend wasn't paying for what I wanted for my family to do. And I didn't want my son to kind of struggle the same way that me and my brothers did at all whatsoever. So it was just time for me to talk to my, um, director there, my chair there, like, Unfortunately, um, I collected all my data, which that was great, but I need to find a full-time position. So I actually was blessed enough to get the associate director of nutrition position at the University of Louisiana, Lafayette. Me and uh, Kayla Stitcher were, were co-directors there. Mine was for sports nutrition education. Hers was coordination, so she just basically just handled all the vendors and everything too. And then we ended up getting an assistant there as well. So we was growing, it was going well. And it was actually developing a program to be something that we envisioned it to be. And we wanted it to be, it was going super well. Education was fire, everything was going well. Um, and then I got married after that, uh, found out that I guess my dad had cancer and I had to go home immediately. So after finding that out back in 2017, I honestly, man, I had, I had great colleagues, they were there for me and they helped me out throughout that entire time between Candace Walls and Kayla Stitcher and Rachel Robbins and also the rest of the athletic performance staff, all the strength coaches, like it, we were a tight, tight-knit family. I went home, I went home. I had to be the caregiver for my dad at, for that month uh, with me and my brothers. And me and my wife and my son we drove 15 hours, went back to Columbus um, and I was able to spend time with my dad as he, as he started the transition and started to pass. So in October, that's when uh, my, my father passed and everything. So then I went back uh, to be the director again. And actually the opportunity at University of Louisville opened up and it was just, even though I felt like it was a step down, it was time to get back closer to home and be back closer to my family. So with that being said, I uh, talked to Dr. Ivy. He called me, um, we had a great conversation came here on a visit and that was literally the same time that we had the CPSCA advanced practice workshop right before that came here in that March, um, came here on a visit and everything. And honestly, I was so, my mother's side of his family is all from Louisville. And it was like literally the, the tightest and closest thing that I could get to close to home, uh, being around family and all that stuff before and this was pre-COVID. Mm. So I made the decision. Wow. Yeah, so I made the decision. I took the position here. Um, to be majority men's basketball dietitian. I also work with uh, volleyball, women's basketball, and softball, and also lacrosse because they're housed out of, key, out of the Keeper Center. So I mostly run the Keeper Center. That's, that's my main job. I run the Keeper Center, um, men's, women's basketball, and also lacrosse. I also help with softball and volleyball as well, and I'm their dietitian too. So been here since, uh, since May, moved here during COVID, trying to transition to the position during COVID. But honestly, I learned very, very, very fast. I think that's one of my highlights is that that quick, I learned fast. Uh, so I'm, it, it feels like, I feel like even though that we're in COVID, you got to groove with everything, you know? So been here since then and continue to, and wanting to continue to grow. And 
execute some visions and some and some goals here with my team here. So. Wow, that was just so modest. And I mean, talk about adversity and hardship and moving. Did you say 11 times? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We bounced around, moved from Dayton three times, uh, was uh, was in some project housing in, in Dayton, Ohio, and then actually moved there three times to other houses and all that stuff, too. And then we actually, my dad got the position in Columbus, uh, which, because, you know, my dad, my dad fought in Vietnam. So he, so he's a, uh, he's a veteran. He was a veteran. So that, that base moved from Dayton to Columbus. And then we moved to Columbus. Uh, it was, it was phenomenal. We, my dad got opportunity to build the house there and all that stuff. So we was actually, we was in middle class. We was living in the suburbs at the time. And then financial things hit, lost that house, went, moved down to East Columbus and then lived there for a little bit, still went to the same school. I don't know how my mom and dad pulled that off because it was actually a great school. At Hamilton Township, we still went to the school in the, uh, in the suburbs and still through all those transitions and all those moves, we still stayed at that school. Again, I don't know how they did not find out <laughs> about that. Uh, so, but uh, it was it was great, man. I just learned how to still have to handle your business. I feel like me and my brother still had to learn how to handle your business and through even throughout those moves and transitions and, and instability with all that, you still got to get things accomplished regardless. So, and that's one thing my parents are still in us. Like, it doesn't matter what's going on, that work got to get done regardless. So yeah. it sounds like the adversity has helped you adapt super quickly to things, which is so crazy how it kind of works, but you really have honed that in to an advantage for you in a way, which is Absolutely. just really inspiring, I think, to any anyone listening. So you, you casually talked about your PhD, just getting your PhD at Ole Miss. <laughs> Can you talk about your path to your PhD? What it what does it entail to like apply or like the day-to-day -day in sports nutrition? Because were you teaching and being a sports dietitian and a student? Like how do you do how do you do that? All three. All literally all three. So <laughs> it, it, it man, it was it was great, man. It was great. So again, like I said, throughout my PhD program, I um they it actually helped me out because I was able to get my teaching experience too. Uh, and I taught the, um, the basically the essentially the one-on-one course, uh, the introduction to nutrition course. So I taught that while I was also a sports dietitian. I taught that on Tuesdays and Thursdays. While also being a sports dietitian for baseball, and I didn't travel, so that was also a good thing too because I did not travel. Melinda wasn't playing that; she didn't want us traveling anyways. <laughs> Dr. Valiant was like, "Okay, no." you're going to teach all that so it was great because dr valiant is is very direct as far as and and great with the direction when she she thinks is the best route for each individual to do so, so is it four uh, years is it four years or three years oh it's no it's four Five. years i got, I got it it's four to seven years and any some people they don't get their doctorate done for 10 years i was fortunate enough to get mines done in uh in three years Honestly, I still don't know how I did it, but I did it. So because I was collecting data on the student athletes that that had experienced a concussion, symptoms of concussions. Mm -hmm. And we just basically um, provided a dietary intervention and uh, an alternative intervention for those who, uh, who did experience a concussion and also collected their dietary assessment as well throughout the recovery process to see how much they're consuming, to kind of gauge them to consume more, to try to meet their calorie intake. And what we did was just find that as far as those that met their calorie intake on average, 
basically experienced reduced symptoms on an average of three days. And the recovery was anywhere between the three to seven day mark. And hopefully this provides more information on how to go about the recovery process, not just providing supplementation, but also making sure that calories and nutrition and food is the main priority. So that way the recovery state can take place because there's, there's different and there's various factors of that individual that no matter how they uh, had, had that impact happen or that concussion happen, that, that food intake and that dietary intake is going to be very beneficial because it takes calories and it takes energy for recovery to happen. Too bad our audience isn't, it's just probably sports dietitians. It's not the people that should probably hear that, but yeah. And, and that's what hopefully- yeah. Share, this, share part. this podcast with everyone. Yeah. All right, right. <laughs> just, just share that little part and just take that little segment that I just said and like here, tell me right now, like we should look more into this. <laughs> how do students, how did you find PhD? Was it through like the CPSDA job board or like how did you find what programs do PhD? Like no. nutrition. Yeah, no, she put it on the CPSA job board. She put it on there. Until you saw it. Okay. As a graduate assistantship. So, and I found out that they had a PhD program there. Obviously, since I already had my master's, a doctor was something that was the next step. Never in a vision getting my doctor all whatsoever, my PhD all whatsoever. On my mother's side of the family, I have some older cousins that have their doctor and all that stuff too. But I really, we really did not grow up around them because of the different generation differences. So, and they're like in their forties and fifties and things like that. And where me and my brothers are younger and I have two older brothers, they're like one's in their 40, uh, one's 41 and the other one is 31. But again, me, Joe and Josh, as far as me and my, my younger brothers, we're kind of the younger, the baby cousins, you know? So we really didn't grow up around them because they were all doing their thing, they're already adults. So I didn't really have that around me as far as that, that positive influence of what a PhD even looks like having that even dietitian, in a sense, even as being a dietitian, even in our field, never had that around. Um, so that was on a job board, looked at it. And I just said, you know what, this is something that's, hey, I'll just shoot for it. I mean, and plus this would be a step for as far as my family look at like, hey, if he can get his PhD, there's an endless amount of opportunities that we can do no matter what's going on. I mean, you're literally a trailblazer. Like to think that, you know, black students can look up to you and see that you have your PhD. What I mean, what is that like to know your background with the adversity and hardships and like, how does that hit you every day? Or is it just kind of more like, what is, what does it feel like? I guess from your perspective. I realize the power that it has, but I'm, I'm humbled by it because I never forget where I came from and what all have the experience just to get to this point and all the hardships I had to go through to get to this point too. But at the same time, I know it's, it's, Unfortunately, it's my responsibility that I can't give up because there's people looking at me and I know there's people looking at me. And I know there's people that are, that are, I maybe don't even know, but it's someone that I do know is telling them like, hey, look, I'm telling you, if Matt can do this, if Frakes can do this, like, bro, you can do this too. Like, there's, there's no excuses at all whatsoever, no matter what is going on. Like, you can make it happen. Dr. So, Frakes, Dr. Frakes. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. How has your PhD been able to help you in your career as a sports dietitian? How do you kind of see it in your everyday work? Oh man, honestly, this doctorate has helped me realize to not overcomplicate things. I feel like me getting my doctorate has actually helped me to be able to simplify things in a more effective way um, in order to basically decipher the research that's out there 
know what's beneficial as far as in the setting that we're in and then try to be and try to basically whatever the conclusions are are being brought up in those statements and in those discussions in that research what i can apply in my current setting and also what can help and benefit the student athletes that i'm actually helping and nourishing and educating i feel like that's what that phd has done in a sense I don't, I don't throw it around just to sound like I'm smarter than anybody around me or anything like that whatsoever. It just actually has helped me like, hey, let's have a conversation about, okay, what you're hearing in the research, what's some quality research, what's some things as far as the limitations not being addressed in that, or this is just bogus in a sense. This, here's the evidence behind it that actually support this is not what's happening and put it in layman's terms and put it in a way that they can understand it. Yeah. So simplifying the research so it can be practical and applicable to the student athlete. Exactly. Because the methods is everything. A lot of people skip over that methods. Skip, they skip over the, the statistical analyses that's done. But that thing lets you know, all that information lets you know, rather even that research, whatever that is being done, was done in a quality or adequate way to fit the set. Wow. So everyone look at the methods section. That's <laughs> the methods, the, the story and the methods is very important. And it may sound boring, but the problem is, is just that we just don't get a in-depth or a quality background history of how to actually how to actually read the methods. We yes, we take our methods courses, yes, we take our stats courses and all that stuff. But the thing is, we generally just have a general training in it. Whereas in my doctorate, obviously it was a little bit more advanced. So I was bored with it too, but having that allowed me to basically that, that more in-depth advanced training in there and have it to be refreshed in my mind. Oh, that's what they were talking about. Oh, am okay. I got you. Okay. That now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. I feel like everyone wants you like in their pocket just to carry you around. So you can just like debunk all the research for everybody. <laughs> now I'm not I'm not always the perfect one to do there's there's people that are way smarter than me that does it <laughs> so you have your PhD you also have your CSCS right mm -hmm. so what advantage do you feel like having that credential I feel like there's a lot I mean a lot of sports citations actually do have that credential I don't um, personally and I feel like a lot of students coming up might have that credential how do you feel like that benefits your work working with strength coaches student athletes um, in your setting honestly First things first, the reason why I got it was because of the fact I wanted to understand why Coach Schumann was blowing us up the way he did when I was playing football. That's the one reason why I want to understand why. Why were you butchering us like that? <laughs> that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why. But it all makes sense now. And then the other thing is, too, that I wanted to make sure that I always had another, I had opportunities to present itself. But that's to be able to have a conversation and also to be able to kind of understand where the coaches are coming from, uh, the theories that they're using, the application that they're using, the coaching styles that they're using, why they're doing it. it and the CSCS, again, it's just general information. It's just a general test. It doesn't, get, it doesn't define the practitioner at all whatsoever. But the CSCS allows me to kind of understand so that I can look more in detail of why they're doing it. So that way I can alter how I go about my programming with my nutrition services and my nutrition coaching and education based upon what the shrimp coach is doing and, and the season that they're doing it, um, the background information on why they're doing it and understanding, okay, they, for that adaptation to make sure that it takes in place in full, 
uh, or to optimize adaptation. Adaptation will happen regardless, but to optimize it in a way that's going to benefit the student athlete, uh, to do that in that way by how I go about my nutrition education. Now I should get my CSCS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other thing is too, like once I say who, who was my uh, strength coach back in college, I feel like that was getting more buy-in with the strength coaches that I work with because oh. they they know they know about they know about Aaron Hillman. That's so funny. Yeah. And his and his tree. And that right there, like, oh, you know how to train. So let's talk about it. <laughs> All right. So let's shift gears a bit. I think everyone is aware of systemic racism and social injustice in our country today. And I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on the dietetics field. Yeah, honestly. So there's always been something being done depending on the time and the generation that had to deal with the situation that had to deal with those problems systematic racism unconscious bias segregation um police brutality all that stuff slavery everything so depending on the time and depending on as far as who those individuals were um that there's always been a needle being pushed. Always been, because this has always been a problem. It's just that with technology now, now the world is starting to see instead of being secluded with what they are just only going through and not knowing what the other, but um, that's the thing though. Uh, so with that being said, I just want to make sure that I'm doing my part to see to push that needle as far as for diversity, equity, and inclusion, regardless. And again, there's people that are way better than me that are that are doing things such as the leaders in diversified dietetics, uh, Tamara Indiana, and just what they're doing in the ashram that they're doing is even as even more. I just want to make sure that I'm doing my part and assisting however I can. Yeah. I think for our field in general, I think the biggest, I guess, wake-up call to everybody was, you know, that 2.6 of our population of dietitians are black and mm -hmm. that's just unacceptable how low that is. And, you know, just the representation, not only from the client's end of there's only a 2.6% chance that a person of color can, you know, see a dietitian of color or that looks like them and how important that is. And that's not something I've, you know, ever really thought about until, you know, this past June or on the other end, the practitioner, you know, seeing RDs in the field that look like them because- yep you know, that's something I've never had to think about. And, you know, I was just telling Matt before this, um, Diversify Dietetics, you know, I found out about that organization in June and I'm sure a lot of people listening, I don't know how many people have heard about it until, you know, recently with everything kind of going on. So, you know, I'll never know what it's like to be in a black body, but to be able to at least sympathize or just understand, which is not the best word to say it, but just know that there are so many barriers for someone's skin color, but, you know, how can we all acknowledge it and, you know, make changes in the field? So I think it's been really cool to see that so far. And we'll talk about in a set in a second, the CPSDA diversity and inclusion committee, but I was just thinking like, how cool is it for sports dietitians coming up of color to look at all of you guys on that website and be like, I see myself in them. Yep. That's probably something you didn't have when you were, you know, growing nope. up. Nope. I was always the only one in the classroom as far as in dietetics. Always the only one in the classroom, not really having a mentor to really look to as far as that looked like me at all whatsoever. Um, the only mentor I had was just a male 
dietitian at Bowling Green, Dr. Joe, uh, Dr. Julian Williford. So, and he always kept it uh, basically 100 with me about anything, just even with me being as far as a, a minority in the field too, um, the impact that I can do. So that was also like having people like that around me at Bowling Green helped me to kind of just develop into this role that I'm in now because being true, authentic, and honest with that, with the individual. And that's a lot of problem too. We are going through these, these situations as well because of the, uh, the fear of having a conversation and how it may make you feel to be vulnerable, have a conversation where you just might not know or to be defensive and feel like uh, because you don't understand that, um, that you have to be defensive or that they may take what I want to say um, in the wrong way. Like what, like, no, like that's a part of the problem there too, is not having the conversation. Um, especially, and we're now in a time where we can have these conversations. Like, I'm gonna be honest with you, like back then, you probably couldn't have the conversation. My parents' time, you probably couldn't have the conversation. Our grandparents' time, you probably couldn't have the conversation um, because of the negative ramifications that would occur just by having those, com those conversations. So, but now we are now, we have to take advantage of those opportunities to be able to do so now. And to make sure to get everybody that they, hopefully can become vulnerable enough to have the conversation and address the complications um, that have always been since the beginning of the American history, you know? Can you talk about diversified dietetics and how you found, is it an organization? Yes, it's, no. or, it's an organization. So I'm, it, so you should get Anna Tamara on here, honestly, because they're being the best ones to speak about it uh, with the organization. I just, just stay in contact with, with ladies there and just try to do my part, uh, been on like member spotlights uh, to see how I can help. Um, and we just bounce ideas off each other and everything too. Because uh, the, the best thing and the greatest thing is, is that everyone is not going in the same exact route. Everyone is, they know about it, they communicate with each other, but they're also going about the route to try to do their part to the correct and make change in the direction that they're in, you know? So with Diversified Dietetics though, like that organization, that nonprofit, that organization there is helping to amplify all the more, all the marginalized groups, not, not just us as black Americans, um, but just even just like in Asia. So I'm looking at the, the updated as far as in the registry of based on ethnicity, Asian community only has 3.9%. Hispanic community only has 3.1%. Um, Pacific Islanders only have 1.3%. Um, whereas, uh, the majority as far as white is 81.1%. So they're trying to amplify all those voices, those marginalized groups to ensure that uh, the, we keep continuing to move in a direction for equity, opportunity, um, and, and uh, inclusion amongst everybody. And there's other variables, but there's, there's, way, uh, there's way more other variables that have not been communicated about um, of why those numbers are so low. We have to go to the background of why those numbers are so low. And Diversified Dietetics does a great job of trying to educate of the other disparities of why those numbers are so low and why those opportunities don't present itself or why the profession is unknown in these marginalized groups, these underrepresented groups. They have a really good podcast. You were actually on it called Feed Me the... Feed me the facts. Yeah. Yes. And that's a, that's a great way to listen to other, you know, students or dietitians of color or of a different, you know, ethnicity or background and learn about 
the struggles that they have getting into the dietetic field, because I feel like that's the first way to start is just learning about the barriers or what someone else is seeing, because you, you won't know until you can kind of hear it from someone else. And I actually listened to your episode last night. Um, but it's just, it's really inspiring because you wouldn't know these stories unless you hear them and you hear it from someone else's point of view. So if anyone's looking for somewhere to start, I would start there for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's one thing to hear it and listen to it, but it's also, we have to put in work and we have to do our part and searching out for the information too, okay? One thing that I don't want to happen and I'm fearing happening is that this, this DEI and all these resources and what we're doing is all falling into the hands and the responsibility of those underrepresented groups that's being impacted. Mm. And that, what we have to be mindful of is that they are one already trying to navigate in a world that's not built for as far as that or um, that they don't feel that's built for them, or that there are all these negative things as far as in the media that's occurring to people that look like them. And trying to decipher that stress and all that when still the, the group that can make change, and we shouldn't separate it that way, but let's just be honest, the majority that can make change, they are just looking to them for the information when honestly, they have to make the action in order to ensure that, okay, not only am I having a conversation, not only am I finding the information, but the action that I can take to help make that embetterment of what we want to see, not just our organization, our country, the world that we live in. I love that. Take action. So before we take action, because I want you to give advice on how we can take action. Can you talk about your role with the diversity and inclusion committee through CPSDA and you know what you guys are working on and how to take action. Absolutely. So you'll see that CPSDA um, 12 action items checklist. That was something that we were just brainstorming on like, okay. Oh, it's great. Yeah, what, what can we do now? And honestly, it was just a conversation of, well, maybe just we'll focus on an action item per month. That's why it's in 12. So there's one thing can pick. Per oh, month. I didn't realize that. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, right. you pick per month, however you want to do it, however you're, how, what, what, whatever, wherever you're at in your organization, just ensuring that one of those action items got to be checked off, not in, not in order, but just check, just not, and not just checked off, but you're making it happen, you're taking that action, and you're reflecting on that so that way you can continue to improve yourself. And this is something that needs to be done, not just this year because it's a hot item or just this year because now we're comfortable to have a conversation about it. But what about five years from now, 10 years from now, 15, 20 years from now, 30, 100 years from now, regardless, like this is something that can be done every single year. And not just until the goal of equity, inclusion, diversity, and whatever, we don't even, and whatever that means, but continue to do that so we can just continue to, to be better people, to be better as people and to treat each other well enough to do so without having those unconscious biases and things like that. Yes. No, I mean, I looked through the checklist and, you know, like you said, it's cool that I didn't realize the one month, like the 12 for one, you know, every month. So I'm already yeah. a month behind, but everyone, we do have a strategy to, to um, catch you up. So I was just kind of thinking before we started recording, I mean, obviously dietetic internship season will be over by the time this comes out, but I think also like the smallest thing can make 
the biggest difference. So I was just talking to Matt before this and there's about 350 people that listen to the podcast. So if you're listening each week, thank you so much for listening. And, you know, I was just thinking, I mean, this is not sponsored by Diversified Dietetics at all, but, you know, if everyone listening were to donate just $10 to Diversity Dietetics, the only reason I know about this was over the summer, someone posted something either on Twitter or Instagram where Diversified Dietetics was saying something like, if you donate $50, this covers a student's, you know, diecast fee, or it was, it was basically um, showing you the comparisons of what you're donating and what it can cover. And so I was trying to think, okay, um, you know, just for the application for someone to apply for dietetic internships, that's $50, the first one, and then the rest are 25. So say, um, you know, someone, a student through Diversified Dietetics wants to apply to five dietetic internships. They also have to pay for D&D Digital, which is another 50. So that's $200. And so if everyone donated $10 that listens to this podcast, 10 times 350 people is 3,500 divided by 200 equals 17.5. And that would cover 17 students through Diversified Dietetics that wouldn't have to pay for application fees. And I just think that's super powerful because to think we could all do something together without it, you know, it doesn't have to be $500 donation to make a difference. I, I just think it could be super cool. And um, so, yeah, I think this is just another way to make an impact. What are some other ideas from the, the list that you uh, honestly, can start and, working on? And to go back to that too, um, that's why some of those items on that list is to go to your local as mm -hmm. well. How you can make a local impact. Um, to wherever you're at, wherever region you're at, uh, whatever, or to, to discuss and speak to those organizations that's also making an impact in, in a local setting. So that can also be things too, like that's on that checklist as well. Not just reading or reviewing or looking at a documentary, you know, and discussing about it, or, or to say that, yeah, I did that, I, I read that, I watched that, but what did you really take from it? So it's, so it's like, okay, we're, we're, we're making these steps, but what is the action? And when you reflect on it, what can the other individual, what can you get from that, from, from doing that action? So that's what the checklist is basically doing. And there's other things there too. Making a menu item that is highlighting um, or a recipe or try it Tuesday, if you will. Um, highlighting a food that is of another culture and honestly, I would then take it the next step is actually speaking to that person of another culture and discussing with them, hey, how can we do this either weekly, monthly, or annually, or how can we work with our, um, our chefs, our food service management operators, how can we work with them to make sure that we implement this and not our versions of that food, not our Americanized versions of that food but the actual true essence and version and history and background of that food and speaking with someone that knows that food, not just eats it weekly or having sushi nights and things like that, but knows the history of it, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and knows that and just putting that in, in play. So those are the things you can do as well. Would you say a lot of colleges now, I mean, at, at UConn, we have a diversity inclusion committee and we have working groups that I'm a part of. And, you know, I find that's probably the easiest way if you at least work at a college to start getting involved is I'm, I'm sure there's a committee. I'm sure each conference has their own, you know, initiative for diversity and inclusion, but anything there that has been really cool to see from your end um, as that's kind of grown this year. 
Yeah, and, and like I said, there are champions that's doing this, that have been doing it, not just this year, but that have been, that have been doing it way before me as well, uh, whether that's in the NCAA or rather that's in professional sports and organization. And yes, we focus on that uh, because of the fact of our field. And this is the part that we can do to help our setting so that way we can stay within our expertise and help amplify that in a way. But um, again, like I said, there are people that have been doing it. And that's one thing we can do is, is trying to search that and just in, uh, speaking with those individuals that have been doing it. Um, you're the ones on campus that have been doing it. If you're in a professional setting, just those organizations and speaking with those um, that has that community outreach to see, okay, who can we speak with and what can we do to help and serve those uh, those organizations as well too, rather than, and it doesn't have to just be donating money, but volunteering, showing your face, telling them what you do, why you do it, the impact it can do. And then that also puts a perspective, you step outside your comfort zone, so that way you can see how someone else lives or where they're coming from that you have no idea about because you didn't come up that way and you didn't learn that way. And that's the, and that's the just, and that's the basis of this is to make that occur. And that's why that diversity is important. Equity and inclusion is important because just like how, even though you're a white woman or I'm a black male, we all have different backgrounds regardless. And our athletes all may, even it doesn't matter if they look one way, they all have different upbringings and backgrounds. And this is important because you provide opportunity to have someone that comes from those similar situations that can provide value to ensure that they are also going in the right direction, being coached the way they need to be coached, not just want, wanting to be coached. And it making an impact because they see the representation, you know? Yeah, I think that's- I just want a huge tangent. Now, one question, I apologize for that. No, that was amazing. <laughs> I could just listen to you all day. No, I, I think it's just so powerful to think like, to see yourself in someone else, like in any situation, like how powerful that can be. And I just think that's so cool for, you know, all of your roles, sports dietitians. Oh, do you want to talk about the scholarship too? Oh yeah, we can definitely talk yeah, about that. Yeah, let's talk about the scholarship. So it is February 9th right now. So obviously the scholarship oh. closed, closed on the 7th for applications, but um, and I think we had, a, we had a decent outcome as far as on that. And we plan to make sure we keep pushing it every single year where this one is just planning for just one student. Hopefully next year's two. The year after that in five years, it can be three. The year after that or in five years, it can be 10, 15. So that way it continues to grow while also providing a uh, opportunity financially to ensure that they don't go into this thing super in debt, you know? So and that's the gist of that application is to help provide um, the way the CPSDA membership so you can become part of a great organization um, and, to, and to continue to network because of the barrier financially that you may not be able to afford it or your current institutional organization is not paying for your memberships right now because of COVID. So things like that, or just even that that scholarship paying for your DI fees and and that year of those but rotations. The dietetic internship can be like ten thousand dollars plus, and to think, what is it, seven thousand? That yeah, so it's seven thousand. It's seven thousand, depending on where you're at. So it's kind of we just made an average of what a typical internship cost, hmm. um, and based off of that, and the board was was great enough to be like, you know what, we're gonna do it. Let's do it. 
And that's part of why the DEI was formed too. If we're going to do it, let's do it. And just being able to provide information. Okay, what needs to be done? Okay, instead of just saying and talking about it. Oh, well, yeah. let's, let's try me about this. Well, it's just, it's so cool because it literally is an opportunity. Like you're literally giving someone an opportunity. That may exactly. Have and that's exactly. what's really cool about I mean, it sounds obvious, but it's really just inspiring and it's just really cool. Exactly. And Liz, like we, I, and I don't know how you're, how you had to come and become a dietitian, what you had to do. Um, but just like, for instance, I don't want somebody to struggle the same way I had to struggle to become um, an RD where I had to, I was working as a bouncer. Um, I was working as, um, as security at a nightclub. Um, and I was also working at Red Robin working at UPS and things like that. So it was one point I had three jobs at one time where I was bouncing at two clubs uh, and then also driving at where I worked at for HealthWorks and driving to those, uh, those different wellness corporations to provide that education as well to their employees outside of Columbus, having to drive to Cleveland or having to drive to Dayton or Elyria, things like that. Um, and all at the same time, do my rotations. I'm a hustler. I'm going to find a way to make it happen. But also at the same time, this is the this is the emphasis of this of the scholarship to make sure that you don't have to do that because not everybody has support to where you can drop everything, do just the rotations. You have parents or you have a community that would be able to invest in you. This could be a whole nother podcast, but like it is so crazy to think it's like, hey everyone, let's just drop everything for the year. You're gonna pay um, thousands of dollars, and you know you're, that's how you're gonna become a dietitian. I mean, I think we're all like, oh my goodness, like this is really how it's how this has evolved. You know? Yeah, everybody's support system is different too. We got to take that consideration. Some people they have people that can help them out with doing that, or help pay for some of their bills, or help provide some food, some groceries, and things like that. Whereas as on the opposite side, some people don't. Like me, I didn't, I didn't have no, I didn't have any help at all whatsoever. Well, I really, I really appreciate you sharing that. Cause I think it just helps a lot of people listening put into perspective of what adversity really is and what hardship really is. I think for anyone that has not experienced that to really understand, like, you know, failing a test isn't, you know, and all be all. Yeah. Like there's so much more out there and just, just perspective on where you are and, and maybe not being so hard on yourself in a certain situation because, you know, someone else is struggling that much more. Exactly. And I'll just challenge people just to make sure that if you are struggling to definitely communicate and talk with, um, and, and to, and to get those things off your chest, it's hard as heck to open up. Um, and some people I understand you can be reserved on things, but if you are, that's why you have to build your network and find people you can trust because, I say that I made this and I did this on my own, but truth be told, if I didn't have the, the emotional support of my family, if I didn't have the emotional support of uh, my wife and child at the time when my dad passed and, and finishing my PhD, if I didn't have the, um, the also, and I had a little bit as far as support, whether that was in the, I actually had to make a, a, a GoFundMe for the last what was it? I think it was $500 for the last $500 to pay for my rest of my ending of my internship. And because of the people that I met and all that, I was able to actually raise that to pay for that last bit. Because even though I worked all those jobs, I had bills to pay, I had a car to, to pay for, I had phone bills to pay, 
throughout the time when I actually had stopped playing football, I had to actually help my brother throughout their school situation. So it's just like having to basically find a way and pay for that, you can still come up short. But that's why it's important to have network and community because those individuals and that group and can can help you. You just have to be vulnerable enough and it's scary, but you have to be vulnerable enough to have that communication to someone that, and find people you trust and make sure you surround yourself with great people that envision the goal that an outcome you want to see. That's amazing. Find people that you can trust and open up to, to get to that next step. But yeah, just to wrap this part up, I think the biggest takeaway, at least from my end is so you got to take action. You yep. take action. You don't just listen to a podcast. You have to take action. So yeah, reach out to the organizations. That's why the hashtag CPSEA takes action. Ooh, oh, okay. Now, oh, there we go. We're all yep. set. So, so as you're knocking down these checklists, these steps and all that. Make we got sure our hashtag, we're ready to go. Hashtag is ready to go. You reach out to these people and see what else you can do to help. See what else you can do to do your part. I love it. All right, best advice you've received in your career up until this point? Man, I feel like I didn't drop so many gems that was based upon That's what true. people told me. Truth be told. Um, I honestly feel like <laughs> I had so many things. <laughs> Probably the best advice is hard to narrow it down to one, but if one thing that's off my that's off the top of my head, it would probably be as far as to to do that last part, that last component that I, that I talked about, is to not chase basically the logo or chase the 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 dream, the vision, the dream job, because that's not there's it's not that there's no such thing, but there's no such thing. You're always going to have something in there that has something that you don't like, especially because you're working with people and, and people aren't perfect. So there's not going to be a perfect situation because people aren't perfect. So instead of chasing that logo and chasing that, that dream job, chase opportunities that will, set, that will make you step outside your comfort zone so you can grow and develop and you're surrounded with a community and people and organization that not only will allow you to grow and develop, but has your best interests because of the imperfections that you display. I love that. Go after your weaknesses. And I love the don't chase the logo. I think that's super important. Exactly. Because the logo doesn't mean anything if if the people aren't the there. The people make the logo. The logo makes the people. Exactly. The people makes the logo. The logo does not make the people. Ooh, I like that. I've never heard that before. Yeah. There you go. Go Huskies. go cards big l's (laughs) we we talked about this before we we were recording but just so everybody knows uconn beat south carolina last night and matt didn't know about it so i don't know what louisville's ranked anymore but they're not in the top one or two (laughs) no we're number three now but that's okay because my girls are still going hard they're still going hard like I said, adversity strikes, but it's, it's the way that you respond. Thank God it's not March. It's not March yet. This would have gotten much heated. Exactly. Yet. Don't, don't count anybody out. Don't count anybody out yet. It's tough, <laughs> adversity and toughness. That's what matters. <laughs> All right, ready for the rapid fire round? Yep. Okay, what do we need to know about? Okay, this is embarrassing. Is it Louisville, Kentucky, or Louisville? Louisville, Louisville, uh, Louisville. Out of titles will say Louisville, but it's, it's Louisville. <laughs> I, so I was wrong for both. There was like yeah. an accent over the. Yeah, I, it's so many different ways. I grew up coming back here, back and forth my entire life and visiting. So I just know it as Louisville. 
<laughs> oh, okay. That's easier for me. <laughs> I like to talk about Louisville all the time. But... What do we need to know about it? Phenomenal food, phenomenal people. The food game here is incredible. Ooh. I have never been somewhere. I thought Louisiana was was the, the, the food scene there was incredible, was crazy and was was the best thing smoking. But I came here, there's not literally one place that me and my wife has went to that was like, man, this is bad. Like everything here, and it's so many different options. The, the food scene here is insane. You're making me want to get on a flight and go have lunch I'm there. I'm telling you, like this is a foodie's paradise. This is a foodie's paradise. Oh, amazing. Okay, do you remember Airheads, the candy? I do. What's your favorite color or flavor? Mine's was probably the red or the green one. Not blue? Come on. No. What? Absolutely not. Really? Absolutely. I grew up in Columbus. So, you know, it's Buckeye Nation, it's scarlet and gray, that's red and gray, red out there. So everything red. And now I'm here with the Cardinals, everything's red. <laughs> Hidden talent? Hidden talent? Man, I don't have any talent, truth be told, man. I don't have any talents. Really? No, I, I feel like I'm just a regular old schmo Joe, truth be told. With um, a PhD. I, 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 with a PhD. <laughs> I say the hidden talent is I'm the strongest dietitian in America. I put, yeah, I'm the strongest dietitian in America. I'll say that. How about that? Okay. All right. Well, I'll do, do it. Chips, if you had to choose sour cream and onion, barbecue, or salt and vinegar, and you can only pick one. Out of just those three? You, what are the other ones? Cool Ranch Doritos. No, but these are like, we're doing Lay's chips. <laughs> it, it will probably be uh, mm, barbecue. It'll be barbecue. Sounds good. All right, ready for the last question? Yes. If you could tell your younger Artie self one thing, what would you say? My younger Artie self. Don't be scared to make mistakes, bro. Just, it is what it is. Trust me, you'll overcome it. There's some things that I'll probably, I, I uh, not regret, but I learned because I was maybe a little bit too nervous to take that step, that it, it backtracked me to where I need to become. But this also because of the decisions I made is where I'm at today. So I would say, honestly, just be a little bit more, have a little bit more courage and don't, don't care if you mess up. That's what life is about. You have to mess up in order to learn. I love it. Have courage. And like you're just saying, you, when you make mistakes, you learn from it and that becomes experience. Exactly. That's what makes experience. Well, you won't know if you don't try. Exactly. 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 Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time today. It was, it was super insightful just hearing your perspective and your story. So just thank you for sharing that and your path to your PhD and just everything that you have to offer. I just really appreciate it. And I'm sure everybody listening it's going to take action today. Absolutely. I appreciate you, Liz. Everybody continue to step outside. Everybody go take action. What's the hashtag again? CPSDA takes action. Let's do it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Sports Artie Snippets. I hope you found our conversation helpful today. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Share the podcast or tell another sports RD to be or sports dietitian about it. If you can rate and review the podcast, it really helps the show and is much appreciated. Remember to follow along on Instagram at Sports RD Snippets to see what Sports RD guest is featured each week. I'm super excited to bring on my upcoming guests, so stay tuned. I'm Liz Waluka, and thanks so much for listening. <laughs>